Hi there, and welcome to On Mic with Jordan Rich, where conversation is celebrated. Conversation with folks who have something to say. And in the case of my guest today, something to show you. For almost 30 years, my friend Alan Dines has taken his camera and photographed hundreds of celebrities in some of the most iconic venues throughout the Northeast. A while back, I urged Alan to write the book that he had been thinking about and to include some of the photos and the stories. And he did just that in a book called Front Row Center, How I Met Everyone. So proud of Alan for the work he's done and continues to do as a photographer and for creating this very entertaining book. So let's now go Front Row Center and meet the Shutterbug himself as we go on mic with Alan Dines. I say this often, how much fun I'm about to have, but I really mean it this time because I am part of this man's life. Uh, I, I can't escape the fact that you have me in various visages all over your house, all over your apartments, all over your offices, and I don't know whether I should fear you or adore you. I'm not a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> you are a brilliant photographer and a great guy. Front row center, how I met everyone. And let's talk about the cover of the book, because I think that's one of the more ingenious covers and artistically relevant. Well, I've been a collector of all my memorabilia from from everything prior to this. I yeah. collect Coca-Cola with my son, you know, Coca-Cola branded products. I have all my ticket stubs from from concerts, and I did the same with all my laminates and backstage passes. And that's what we have on the cover here, many of them. We have many of them. There's still more. There were more underneath, and the hardest trick was to make it look as as um, sporadic and, and unorganized un, uh, as possible. Yeah, you're an artist, and it almost looks like a kid did an art project, but it's supposed to look like that. But let me just tell the audience, and this is a fabulous book. You definitely want to pick it up for all kinds of reasons, but it's got things like KISS concerts. And for those outside of the Boston, New England area, actually there are KISS stations all over the country, right? That That's a big rock and roll kind of pop music thing. But right. then you've got uh, a lot of the local clubs that you appeared at as a photographer. You've got, we'll talk about the uh, the House of Blues, of course. Uh, Ringo Starr. I mean, it just it goes on and on. Jewel, it goes on and on and on. It does. There's some fun ones on there. The Mighty Boston's, Reba McIntyre, Shania Twain. Just all, all the passes. They're just so much fun to have. Book is called Front Row Center, How I Met Everyone. But how did you become a photographer? It's kind of an interesting story. It is. I always liked photography, but never thought of it as anything more than a way of documenting my my life, same as people do with their iPhones now. Um, and I didn't have a great camera, but when my wife and I got married and went on our honeymoon, um, the gift from my, my three brothers was an Olympus point-and-shoot camera. Mm. And I would say that that really was the very start. Yeah, you showed uh, some really nifty photographs of the coastline there in one of the Greek islands. So right. you, you sort of had a natural eye to begin with. I certainly had a curiosity, and, and I never just you know picked up the camera and shot. I did think think about what I was trying to do. I didn't have any training, but I know what I, I liked seeing, and I was always a very visual person. Mm. Self-taught, yeah. though. That's uh, impressive I, whenever I meet somebody who's come up that way. It was it, self-taught in, in all forms, um, starting with, uh, with film and then self-taught with digital. Um, I did take a class once in Cambridge at a continuing ed um, a class, and uh, – after about three sessions, the teacher pulled me aside and he said, you know, you really don't have much talent for this. You might want to think of a different class. <laughs> oh, the old Fred Astaire, can't sing, can't act, can dance a little, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. So when you started in around 1990, I believe, Correct. Uh, which is 
30 years ago, 31 years ago? How it is, is that possible? When you started, it was, it was film. It was, all film. Right. People forget it's kind of like my business was analog and tape and cutting and splicing. When you look back, uh, it seems so arduous <laughs> compared to what you have to work with today. I, I would say today is arduous as, arduous as well, but in mm. a different way. Um, my computer is now my darkroom. I spend hours and hours editing and and photoshopping and correcting every little thing that I can in a photo. And in the olden days, you process it, you printed it, and you were pretty much done. Uh. So the arduous part of it earlier was being in the darkroom, but that was a lot of fun. I really do enjoy both the um, the digital darkroom that I use now. I love the control that I have, um, but I also loved seeing images coming up in the in the trays in the darkroom. I have a theory, Alan, that I'm better at what I do because I lived through that era before the computer. And everything I do in terms of audio production, I think is made easier, better, and more proficient because of that. Does the same apply to photography, do you think? I think for me it does. I think that that all the all the things that I learned on my own and and saw in the darkroom translates very mm-hmm. well to now. But for kids that have, that never knew never knew film, it's the same thing. They're starting in with, with the medium that they have now, and they're getting very proficient at it, and certainly know more than I do when they come out of school if they've trained. The book is all about people and people we would all recognize uh, musicians right. of great note. Not all photographers go that route. Many of them just stay in the local community, which is fine, shoot weddings and do local portraits of corporate members and stuff. But uh, what was that appeal for you? What what was it that drew you to that world? It's very simple. I wanted to be on stage. I played guitar um, as a kid. Um, You know, in my teens, I played for a few years. Um, I started with classical because my folks thought that would be good training, and it was. But I never had the dexterity to be a pro. And I saw that I would never have any other way to get on stage. And when I started doing photography and ended up around music, it just felt like a natural fit. And so I pursued it um, at 100 miles an hour. Well, it, it, getting back to the cover, those those lanyards and those, those laminates yeah. that it's a press pass or access to backstage. Right. For a kid like you, we're both kids, for a guy like you, <laughs> That's got to be living in heaven. It was every single time. I, I never took it for granted. Um, having that and having the freedom to roam and really, you know, un, un, unfettered by um, doors and, mm. and, and backstage areas was really wonderful. We're going to talk about specific uh, instances and some photos that you capture in this book, Front Row Center. But before we get there, you have to have tact. Unlike others in in the world, you have to know when to back off, I guess, and when to push forward. Is that something you learn or is that something that is innate? I mean, (laughs) talk a little bit about the procedure to be a good photographer, a celebrity photographer. That's a a really good question. Um, I think one of the things that really helped me was was my age. Um, I didn't really start shooting until I was 30. I was not – my early 20s, um, and I was not perceived that way when I would approach clients or prospective clients or celebrities. Mm -hmm. They saw me as more of a contemporary and um, more seasoned veteran than I actually was at the time. And I will tell you, there are many times that I was just shaken waiting to to take photos 
because I was still a rookie, even though my age didn't indicate that. But that's an advantage to being a little older, even if you're faking it till you're making it, right? It was, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was able to control my emotions better, um, and I really focused on the job. I I was around very famous people, but you can't let that interfere with doing your job. So there were times when I would need to interrupt a conversation to get a shot because that's the only time it was going to happen. Um, and there are times I made mistakes as well, and I've, I've been asked to leave uh, when I've uh, shot a photo, not necessarily at the right time, but um, it, 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 age definitely helped. Well, let's talk about uh, the path that took you to the point where you would uh, be backstage with some of the greatest musicians and artists in the world. You start out in a local level with a local newspaper. Right. Let's talk about that. I started out with a local paper called The Jewish Advocate. It was the only paper of its kind in Boston, and therefore it had a lot of credibility in the community. Um, if you needed something in that vein, it was the only paper to go to. Uh, I was not on staff there. I was freelancing for them, and honestly, I've never been on staff anywhere. I've always been a freelancer and have enjoyed, have enjoyed it that way. But what happened there was they gave me the freedom to – go out using the name and shoot anything. And I took full advantage of that. So, so was it your idea to shoot a certain scene or picture of individual? You come up with the ideas or did they assign you? They would assign me um, – for about a year I was shooting the front cover and, and that was an assignment. They would say, okay. you know, you have to be at this ribbon cutting or whatever it is. But it was always light news. It was never, you know, never anything really heavy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I enjoyed that a whole lot. But they also – would take photos of mine if I just wanted to go out on my own. So as an example, um, there was uh, a concert called Fall Fest, um, which was held on the Boston Common. And I wasn't assigned that, but I asked my editor, I said, would you mind if I went out and shot that? And he said, no, go ahead. So I called the station and got a pass from them and was able to go out and, and do that on my own. Do you remember some of the individual acts that were performing that day? The the big one for me at the time, and they were they were really big, was um, uh, Wilson Phillips. Oh, yeah. Which were the kids from uh, The Mamas and the Papas. Absolutely. And, and my favorite shot, um, and it's in the book as well, is a shot of China Phillips backstage. Um, just stunning. The lighting was great. And, you know, we just had a quick moment, but I got a really, really nice shot of her. We'll talk about the people, but let's talk about the places. You have a shot uh, – and a story about being on the Esplanade, for those who don't know what that is, that's the very famous hatch shell along the Charles River where the Boston Pops does their 4th of July, but big shows appear there. Right. What, what was that like? Well, I did, I've done many shows there over the years. Um, the oldies concerts moved there after leaving uh, City Hall Plaza. Um, WBOS, another local station, had their um, Earth Fest mm -hmm. celebrations mm -hmm. there. Again, big names. But the first time I shot there, which was really exciting, was for a radio station called WZLX, uh, one of my favorites. And uh, they had the band with LaVon Helm playing. They had the House of Blues All-Stars, the, the uh, House of Blues original um, facility, which was in Cambridge, had a band. And they were there that day. And uh, one of the most exciting things, kind of putting the pass, the, the all-access pass together with the photos was – actually going up on the stage within the hat shell and looking at it for the first time at about 20,000 people mm. and waving at them and having them wave back. 
and I ha- I included that in the book. Yeah, why not? You got some fun. nice applause. Got some absolutely some cheers from uh, complete strangers who were just excited to be there as you were. Absolutely, that's the greatest. Um, there are so many uh, photos of so many famous people. Do you remember the first beyond that one that we just talked about? Do you remember the first one that just just sent you into orbit? Well, the, I would say the very first celebrity that that you know was bigger than just a local like Boston and beyond mm-hmm. that celebrity. Um, was with the Jewish Advocate. It was early in my career, and I went out with the the reporter who did, uh, you know, did uh, the shows, the local shows. And it was Joan Rivers doing uh, a, a private show or a solo show at the North Shore Music Theater. Mm-hmm. And we saw the show, which was obviously wonderful. She was in her prime and just funny. And uh, we went backstage. She went to her dress room to get ready. And so I'm already anxious. And then her publicist came out to myself and Barbara, the woman I was working with, and she said, you're doing the photos uh, of, of Miss Rivers? I said, I am. She said she has a request. I said, sure. What's that? She said, please shoot her from the waist up. I said, okay. And then she replied, she's feeling a little hippie today. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of made everything real calm after that. I love Joan Rivers. Met her uh, once in person, but interviewed her a couple of times on the phone. And uh, one of the things that happens is you you realize, just as you did, that these are real people and they have the same issues. They're somewhat glorified and somewhat uh, over-exaggerated maybe. And you got to talk about publicists because you and I have both encountered them gazillions of times. Some are great. Some are just annoying as all get out. But describe for the audience what a publicist is doing in all these cases. And don't name any names. (laughs) The publicist – is kind of the gatekeeper to the to your celebrity, right? Um, usually, you've you've um, approved things in advance, um, at least the meeting, the actual meeting. Um, I usually didn't have a problem with them. They, the the celebrities that were there all were in areas where I was expected to be, so I really didn't have a whole lot of problems with them. Um, it's it's almost the manager of the bands that were a little bit harder. There's there's one night that I remember at a at uh, the Flaw Festival, which was held at Suffolk Downs. And it was a local band playing uh, called the Dropkick Murphys. Well-known yeah. well known band. Well-known now. Well-known now. And there was not a whole lot of lighting. They weren't on a main stage. They were in a side tent. And it was literally impossible to shoot them without flash. But the rules at the time were still no flash at that, at that venue at that hour. And I asked the manager, I said, you know, you got to let me shoot. Uh, with flash, and he says, "Yeah, there's no flash." But before he could, before he could finish his statement, one of the band members looked over and said, "Oh, just use the flash. It's all right. Just go for it." So sometimes you that need happens. you need them to step in. Yeah, there's so many great photographs in the book again called Front Row Center: How I Met Everyone, and we won't touch on uh, too too many because we want people to buy the book and enjoy it because sure. there's just so many great ones. But let me just toss a few uh, out here for you. Red Skelton, which, again, I'm old school. So right. I was a huge Red Skelton fan, the great comedian, the mimic, the mime. Tell me about Red Skelton. Red Skelton was wonderful. He was doing a show in Boston, and I was hired to be at his press conference, which was held, uh, I believe it was at the Wang. Mm-hmm. So he comes out on stage, and there's probably about 30 um, seasoned reporters in the audience and just waiting for him to come out. And I'm off to the side of the stage with the camera. And he comes out, and I t- 
take a few photos and very quietly he walks to the front of the stage and he looks over the reporters and then he pulls out his own camera and he looks at them and he takes a picture and he says, if you're wondering why I did that, and I can't do his voice, but he said, mm. it's so that Miss Skelton will know where I've been. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. I think he did it to the audiences, right? As yes. well. Yeah. You get to meet so many interesting people and see them in, in a different vein because you're behind the scenes with them. Julia Child is a great story about Julia Child, the famous French chef. Julia was was absolutely fabulous. She was obviously an icon uh, for the culinary world and, and mm. even more so locally. She was she's an A1 celebrity throughout the state and um, certainly has brought some more chefs. Um, oh, my God. She, the, she put the, the food channel on the map, not even did. purposely, but it's all based on her. On the show. Charting it, the course. So the TV Food Network is actually very interesting. They were uh, – they had started up years ago and for God knows what reason, Tewksbury, Massachusetts was a hotbed for for viewership for the TV Food Network. I wonder what the average weight of the population was in Tewksbury. They were eating everything in sight apparently or uh, cooking everything. I don't everything know what sight. it was but they Isn't loved, that amazing? They loved the station. So they had um, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous uh, – Robin Leach. Robin Leach had came out and did something there, and they also brought out Julia Child for an event, and it was wonderful. She's, uh, as I said, an icon, and she gets out of her ride and she comes in, and almost immediately they offer her a glass of wine, and she says, "Why, yes, that would be lovely." And you know, there's some talking, and everybody's getting comfortable, and a little while later, they come around. Miss Child, would you like to try um, another? This is a nice white. And she goes, why, yes, that sounds divine. No. And, yes, exactly. And <laughs> so she has that. And, you know, it's not been that long a period of time. And about another 10 minutes go by and we're about to head in for dinner. And on the way into dinner, there's another tray. And this time the person says, Miss Charles, would you like a glass of champagne? And she looks around the room and everybody is looking to, to kind of follow her lead. And she looks at everybody and she goes, why, yes, I'm not driving. Why not? And that loosened the whole room right up. <laughs> Amazing woman, no question. When you capture somebody, you've got sometimes split seconds to do that. You write in the book about certain shots that just kismet, just worked. And one of them involved Sting, I believe. Sting worked out to be a really fun story, as a matter of fact, that, that had legs, as they say. Mm. So the story actually starts at the very first Walden Wood project, which included Melissa Etheridge, Don Henley, Sting, Aerosmith performed. That was a, a push for environmentalism and to clean up Walden Wood. And exactly. Fresh and clean, right. Exactly. And it was a huge event held at um, Gillette Stadium at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, again, I'm still a young young photographer. I'm, I'm sitting in the front row. I got very lucky. But there's at least 50 or so videographers and photographers and reporters all looking at the same table with the same three people. It was Elton John, Sting, and uh, oh, Don Henley as well. Mm -hmm. And I was fully under-equipped for lenses. Uh, just didn't have the money to go with the big lenses. And and a uh, newspaper reporter sitting beside me, who also happened to be a Nikon user, which um, I was and was able to use his lenses, asked me if I would like to borrow one of his. And I said absolutely. I had never shot it before. And I, I had maybe five, five, ten minutes with it, shot maybe a dozen photos, 
And one of them was of Sting, and it is absolutely one of my favorite shots of all time. It's a great shot. I mean, he's a handsome devil anyway, but absolutely. You, you just got the right angle and everything worked. And it must be for a photographer, a pro like you, it must be a moment kind of like when you when you hit a home run and it's a direct line drive into the net. Right, everything clicked. No pun intended. <laughs> pun is exactly intended. Yeah. I would take it a step further, though, that that if you're hitting the home run, you know immediately that you've succeeded as you round the bases. Um, as a photographer with film— when I shot that shot of Sting, I knew that I had a great shot. I knew that what I saw in the lens was fabulous, but it was a brand new lens that I had never used, borrowed lens at that. And I was praying that I had the right settings for that. And I, I sweated it out. I will tell you that. I sweated it out until I got it into the darkroom. As we think about the good old days, and your book is so much about nostalgia, and it's not the old, old days. It's only 20 years ago, 30 right. years ago. We know that places like the House of Blues were magical. They sort of rose like Brigadoon in the mist, and they were a, a center for great, great performers, legendary performers. Right. Do you think we'll see that again? Will that era return? I know people with the pandemic have stayed away, and I know that there are all kinds of social gatherings coming back, but that was certainly magical. Any thoughts on that? I I I do think about that, and I think it was a specific point in time that allowed for it to happen. Um, the booking agent that happened to be there, a gentleman named Hale Leismeyer, was very special and dedicated to the blues and to music. Um, the shows were crafted a certain way. The clientele was very vested in the club itself, and I don't think that clubs like that are going to happen the same way again. There are other legendary clubs in Boston, uh, Bunratty's. Um, the mm. Rascaler, there, there are certain clubs that, that, that are no longer there. Mm. Um, the, the Boston Tea Party, for sure. The Channel, another, mm. another oh, yeah. local these are all These are all well-known to anyone in the area and to certainly me because uh, I grew up in that era as well. And interesting enough, I never, ever frequented those places because that wasn't my bag. I, I went to jazz clubs occasionally, but, but I knew that the scene was happening and I knew it was it exciting. Was. It, really it was. was. It was busy. And I just, I just don't see that at any of the clubs now. Um, I guess the closest to get that old kind of feel is, I would say, is the Paradise. That club's been around for years. I've done yeah. many, many shows yeah. there. Uh, great venue. Uh, good, good place to hear music. My son goes there now, and he's 21. That's hung in there, which is great. Yeah. Uh, speaking of hanging in there, you and I have been at this game doing media in this area for a long time. One of the things that impresses people about you, and I'll just say this for everybody else, is your generosity in sharing the art. You've often been the guy to send somebody, without asking, without them asking you, a picture that you took because it looked really sharp and you wanted that person to have it. That, that's rare. It's funny, and it came about um, because of what I heard from musicians on a regular basis when I was starting out. I would tell musicians, you know, I'd love to send you a copy. And their response almost universally was, yeah, sure, here's my address. Uh, you know, if you get to send it out, send it out. Um, and, and they meant by that that they, they heard this all the time. They heard promises uh, certainly a lot of the blues guys, and they never received anything. And I made it a point um, when I went out specifically, let's say, to get an autograph on an image to make sure that I had one for, for the artists themselves as well. Whether they wanted it or not or were going to put it in a drawer um, wasn't my concern. But I never wanted it to be said that I made a promise to them and did not follow through. Mm -hmm. 
Athletes. Let's take a moment and uh, and talk about a different kind of artist, an athlete sure. who is paid, well, today anyway, enormous amounts of money to do something that the rest of us can't do. But you have stories of amazing athletes, and only because we want to be fair here, let's tell two stories, or let's tell of two occurrences. One involving a great baseball legend. I okay, know, you know who I'm talking about, I'm home run sure champion, <laughs> and the other one involving. God on earth, Tom Brady. <laughs> the but goat. What happened with Hank Aaron? Hank Aaron's a very interesting story. Um, it was the 100th anniversary of baseball, and they had the all-century team. Mm-hmm. And uh, people that came in town for that, um, that were the baseball players themselves, included people like um, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, uh, Raleigh Fingers, Dennis Eckersley. Was that like 1999? Was that the year that the All-Star Game was in Fenway? It's it, okay. If, if it you... was. I'll, I would have to check the date again. I, I believe it was the, the day. 93 actually was. Uh... Oh, 93 was the Oh, hunt. no, no. Sorry. Sorry. That's wrong story. The reason I'm asking, was that was that when Ted Williams was, was honored in the... Yeah, yeah it was 99. I knew I was in that ballpark. Again, too many, too many dates for me to remember. <laughs> That's why we're here working in tandem. All right, so tell me the Hank Aaron story. Okay, so the Hank Aaron story really starts years ago when I worked at Fenway Park. I worked there in 96, 97, and 98, running up and down the stairs, selling hot dogs and ice cream and and then beer when I was old enough. And uh, Hank Aaron was there one year, and it was batting practice, and he broke a bat. And as he walked to the side, I ran down the stairs, and I asked him if I could have his bat. And he gave me the bat. So I still have that with the HA4 on the bottom, mm. split right down the middle because he broke it in half. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I saw that I was going to be shooting at the Sheraton and that he was going to be there, I just decided I have to get a ball. I know I'm going to have a photo of him, but I really wanted to get a ball signed as well for mm-hmm. my collection. And I got there and and – you know, I'm doing my my job. I'm shooting in a couple of different rooms, and they're all all those players are mosing in. I finally see Hank Aaron, and he's you know a couple of kids around him, and I get a couple of shots. He keeps walking, and I say, Hank, you know, at some point, I'd love to get a get an autograph on the ball. And he goes, Yeah, yeah. And he keeps walking, and I keep doing my job. And uh, a little while later, he's he's now um, sitting at the dais. They hadn't really started the uh, the press conference yet, so. Again, I approached him around the back and I said, hey, you know, Hank, I just – I was hoping I could get get this autograph. You know, uh, I had met you once before. You had given me uh, uh, a broken bat at Fenway. Mm. And he thought that was nice. He said, yeah, I'll get you later. He just – he not not mealy. He just – he mm-hmm. had other things on his mind. So I, I'd now asked him a couple of times and they did their press conference. That adjourned to another room where they were doing cocktails. It's now getting later in the night and I'm almost done with my job. And I'm getting ready to, to pack up, and I still don't have the autograph. So I make one more effort, and I approach him, and he sees me coming and kind of rolls his eyes a bit. And I go, Hank, I really hate to bother you, but is there any chance I can get an autograph now? And he looked at me, and this time he was really stern, and he says, if I give you an autograph, do you promise to leave this room? <laughs> and I said, as soon as you're done. Yeah. And he signed the ball. I said, thank you. I turned around, and I walked out. I did not look back at him. I was done for the night, but I'm pretty sure he followed me all like with his eyes all the way. Making out the sure door. you really. Exited. Oh yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, I yes. mean everyone has stress and a bad day and all that. But I've noticed, and because I've been in this 
this area myself, that former or, well, worse, current, but former athletes even, uh, they're not as comfortable, most of them, with people in, in stressful situations as, say, some musicians and actors are, or certainly comedians. It's just something about it. But then you have the flip side. Right. Then you've got, and I will end with this, the Tom Brady experience because he is larger than life. Absolutely. And I still love him even though he's not here anymore, here, here being New England. But you got a chance to be in a in a private space with him and, and just a few others for, a, was it Ugg boots? Exactly. Ugg shoes? Yes, that's right. So what was he like? Share with us. It was wonderful. First, to get the call, I, I was called by a company called Star Tracks out of New York to, to cover this event for them. And they've called me in the past um, to do to do shoots that that would feed you know national press. I was very excited. I'm a huge Patriots fan. Um, have been going to to the game with my brothers for years and years. So it was exciting just to get that call and not really knowing what to expect. Uh, the first thing was it was at one of the best hotels in the city. It was at the Ritz Carlton, mm-hmm. and not only was it the Ritz, but it was in the penthouse suite. Uh, not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. So we got in there, and, and the shoot started right from when he walked in. Um, you know, Valet took his car. He came in, followed him up, um, and then we all got into the suite, and um, it, it was a junket. So Uggs had, had, was sponsoring the time, and you walked in, and their shoes and boots were all over the table for, for photo purposes. And then what was happening was reporters from all over the country – were allowed to come in and have 15 to 20 minutes with Tom and ask whatever questions they wanted. This was everything from men's health to us, um, uh, us weekly, mm-hmm. many and online, both online and print. And they all had their time. And then my job was not only to document all of that, but at the end of each session, get photos of the reporter with Tom that they would then receive after the fact. And they're little kids at that time. At that point, right there, because as excited as you oh, and I Oh, God, would be. yeah. Right, okay. Many of them had signs. You know, one said, uh, yeah, you know, hi, Dave, to a, to a woman's, uh, woman's boyfriend. And he certainly autographed everything from footballs uh, to programs. Uh, the funniest one was somebody only had a Red Sox program for autograph. <laughs> he kind of made a joke about that. He was absolutely fabulous. And then there was also time in between – uh, the press people showing up that he was just hanging out and just to be in a room and and watch him just be himself was amazing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen often. And, and you you really not only captured him in the room, but you even had that parting shot, which made for a photo display, an essay sort of on his day, right? He did. He, he was walking out of the Ritz with a nice big smile. He was given, you know, a few gifts from Uggs that were going home with him as well. Um, and and he was being assisted by a valet, and he was just fabulous. So you must think in terms of a story arc when you're taking a fo- – even one photo tells a story. But in that case, you had the, the beginning, you had all the interaction, the content, and then you had that beautiful capstone. Photo. I think that's a really fabulous way to say that, Jordan. I have always felt that that what I do is I tell a story. Mm. Um, and there are those snapshots. There There's some gorgeous shots of – of Tom in the room with Boston as the background, some with the boots. But like you say, it's a whole story. And, and I've always felt that if I do my job right, 
and you follow my progression from shot one through shot 36, that it does tell a story in photos. Mm. Absolutely. There's a follow-up to it, but I want you to buy the book, folks, and read it because it involves Giselle. Be still, my heart. We won't tell that story, but needless to say, it's in there. Um, And there are so many other uh, terrific stories. Incidentally, the book was written uh, by Alan with two L's and an A, A A-L-L-A-N, there's a little funny story about your byline. Oh, boy. We won't get into that either. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time, but people will enjoy that. Um, with writing help uh, from editor Stephen A. White, who helped me with my book. Right. And a forward by a very, very fine radio professional in Boston, well-respected around the country, Carter Allen, with one L. Um, how can people get the book? What's the best way? The easiest way is to order right through Amazon. You just type in my name, A-L-L-A-N, last name Dines. Or you can go to my website, Alan Dines Photography, and you can get a signed edition that way. Excellent. Well, we didn't even scratch the old surface here. There's so much in there. And we started to talk about this at the very beginning, um, the, the impressive nature of memory and nostalgia. And when you came into the studio, I showed you around my office and all the right. goofy knickknacks and movie memorabilia I have. And your eyes lit up, as mine do when I read through your book. Thank you. Um, it is that. If if you grew up, if you were 10, 20, 30 in the 90s, you're going to relate to the book. You're going to think about shows that you've seen or venues you've been to. And you don't have to be from the area. The names are all the same. Uh, when you read about Aaron Neville, it may have happened here, but his name is known across the country. Uh, one more story, and okay. that's only because he's a Boston guy but national – Uh, nationally known, Peter Wolf. And the reason I bring him up of, uh, you know, that era is because you said of all the people you've ever seen perform, rocker Peter Wolf just blew everybody out of the water. Every single time I've seen him. I have seen him as a fan when I was younger. One of the first shows I went to was a Jay Giles show. Mm -hmm. And that energy that I saw in Peter's never changed. And it didn't change... When he was at a small venue like the Middle East, hopping around stage, um, when I saw him at, at, at one of the KISS concerts, he jumped into the audience, and he performed from the audience. He is just a blast and always has been. That's the inspiration that you can take from a lot of rock and rollers. Look at Mick Jagger. He's nearing 80, and he's still doing his thing. Uh, I, I love that, and your photographs bring us closer to these people. So. Thank well you. done. Well done. Thank you. Great to see you. Now let's have lunch and take a few selfies. <laughs> Works for me. Alan Dines, Front Row Center, How I Met Everyone, a terrific book available at Amazon.com. Do order yours. It makes a great gift as well. Alan, great to see you. You too. Thanks, Jordan. Once again, the book is Front Row Center, How I Met Everyone by Alan Dines with Stephen A. White, forward by Carter Allen. Please go to Amazon, order the book. You will love it. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Switch Media, to the gang at Chart Productions, where we produce the program here in Boston. And thanks to you for coming along for the ride in this new year. May it be a happy, healthy, and safe year for you and your family. Visit jordanrich.com to find out more. And until next time, remember to be well so you can do good. Take care.